0: And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we're just going to enter into worship um, and just thinking about this is the God that we serve. This is, this is why we're here. We're here for him. We're here to honor him and worship him and give him the highest place. Um, so you just stand, sit, dance, whatever, however the Lord leads you, um, just enter into this time of worship. As your bride and say we love you. Lord, as we look to, to this week, to Christmas, and to all of the all of the family, all of the friends, however, we're feeling about that, however we feel about Christmas gifts, however, we feel about seeing all the people we're gonna see this week, we just declare that the heart behind all of it is to worship you, to recognize you, to acknowledge you as king. So, Lord, we turn our eyes to you. We turn our hearts to you. You are why we're here. All of the power, all of the glory, all of the praise, it's yours. Jesus, I thank you that you're worthy of it. We give you this time. We honor you. We say, have your way. We'll be right back. back.
1: your name be lifted high For all my days you are the king upon the throne All the glory is yours All the praise So all the praise belongs to you and you alone Let your name be lifted high, higher than any other. For all my days, you are the king upon the throne. All the glory is yours. It's yours. All the glory is yours. It belongs to you. All the glory. Oh uh-huh.
2: show us what you have for us today. We thank you for who you are and what you're doing in this place in Cobblestone, God. We just ask for more. Jesus, I just pray that you would be glorified this morning and in the rest of our lives. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen.
3: The books of First and 2 Samuel There are two separate books in our modern Bibles, but that division is due simply to scroll length. It was originally written as one coherent story. We're just going to cover the book of 1 Samuel in this video. So after Israel was rescued from slavery in Egypt, they made a covenant with God at Mount Sinai and eventually came into the Promised Land. And there, Israel was supposed to be faithful to God and obey the covenant commands. Before the book of Samuel, judges showed how Israel failed at that task big time. It was a period of moral chaos, and it showed Israel's need for wise, faithful leaders. The book of Samuel provides an answer to that need. The book of Samuel's story focuses on three main characters, the prophet Samuel, where the book gets its name, and then King Saul, and after that, King David. And all three of them transitioned Israel from a group of tribes ruled by judges into a unified kingdom ruled by King David in Jerusalem. And the book of Samuel has a fascinating design that weaves the story of these three characters together in four main parts. Samuel, he's the key leader and prophet in the first section of the book, but then he also plays a key role in the next section, which is Saul's story, and it's told in two movements, Saul's rise to power and then his failures, and the second part is about his downfall and his tragic death. And then the drama of Saul's demise is matched by David's exciting rise to power And then David's story is told in two movements. First, he rides the wave of his success, followed by his own tragic failure and the slow self-destruction of his family and then his kingdom. The book concludes with an epilogue that reflects back over the whole story. So let's dive in and see how this all unfolds. Part one picks up from the chaos of the book of Judges, and we're introduced to a touching story about a woman named Hannah. And she's grieved because she has never been able to have children. And by God's grace, she finally has a son named Samuel. And in joy, she sings this amazing poem in chapter 2. And the poem is all about how God opposes the proud and exalts the humble, about how despite tragedies and human evil, God is working out his purposes in history. And also it's about how God will one day raise up an anointed king for his people. Now Hannah's poem has been placed here at the beginning of the book to introduce these key themes that we're going to see throughout the whole story, like the next one. Samuel grows up and becomes a great prophet and leader for the people of Israel at the same time that the Philistines rise to power as Israel's arch nemesis. And in this crucial battle, the Israelites get arrogant, and instead of praying and asking God for help, they trot out the Ark of the Covenant as this kind of magic trophy that will automatically grant them victory in battle and so because of their arrogant presumption God allows Israel to lose the battle and the ark is stolen so the Philistines they take the ark and they place it in the temple of their god Dagon and then the god of Israel defeats the Philistines and the god Dagon without an army by sending plagues on the people And then the Philistines don't want the Ark anymore, obviously, and they send it back to Israel. And the point of this little story seems to be this. God is not Israel's trophy. And he opposes pride among the Philistines, but also among his own people. And so Israel needs to remain humble and obedient if they want to experience God's covenant blessing, which opens up into the next large section The Israelites come to Samuel and they say, hey, we want a king like all the other nations have. Go find one for us. And so Samuel, he's kind of ticked off and he goes to consult with God. And God says, yes, their motives are all wrong, but if a king is what they want, give them one. And so we're introduced to the figure of Saul. Now Saul is a tragic figure because he begins full of promise. He's tall, he's good looking, he's a perfect candidate for a king, but he has deep Character flaws. He's dishonest, he lacks integrity, and he seems incapable of acknowledging his own mistakes. And so these flaws become his downfall. He wins some battles at the beginning, but his flaws run so deep he eventually disqualifies himself by blatantly disobeying God's commands. And so the aging Samuel confronts Saul and Israel. He had warned the people that they would only benefit from a king who's humble and faithful to God. Otherwise, the kings of Israel will bring ruin. So he informs Saul that God is going to raise up a new king to replace him. And so Saul's downfall begins. As God, at the same time, is working behind the scenes to raise up that new king. It's an insignificant shepherd boy named David. He's the least likely candidate to be king. But the famous story of David and Goliath shows that God's choice of David is not based on his family status, but simply on his radical and humble trust in the God of Israel. And so this story embodies all of the themes of Hannah's poem. Proud Saul and Goliath are brought low, while humble David is exalted. From here, we watch Saul slowly descend into madness, while David rises to power. So David starts working for Saul as a general and he's winning all of the battles and he's also winning all of the fame. And so Saul gets jealous and he starts chasing David around, hunting him, trying to kill him. David's done nothing wrong. And so David simply runs and waits in the wilderness. And here we see David's true character. He has multiple opportunities to kill Saul, but he doesn't. He simply trusts that despite Saul's evil, God will raise up a king for his people. What's interesting too is that many of the poems of David that you find in the book of Psalms are linked to this very period of his life. And they all express the same attitude of trust. And so this section of the book ends with Saul coming to a grisly death after losing a battle with the Philistines. First Samuel tells some of the most intricate, well-told stories you find anywhere in the Bible. And the characters Saul and David, they're portrayed very realistically. And the author's putting them forward as character studies so that you can find yourself in them. So in Saul's story, we see a warning. It's crucial that we reflect on our own character flaws and how they harm us and other people. And with God's help, we need to humble ourselves and deal with our dark side so that Saul's story doesn't become ours. David, on the other hand, is presented as an example of patience and trust in God's timing in our lives. And so he's running in the wilderness, being chased by Saul. David had every reason to think that God had abandoned him, but that's not what he thinks. And so David's story encourages us to trust that despite human evil, God is working out his purposes to oppose the proud and to exalt the humble. And that's what 1 Samuel is all about.
4: So, hey, I know that those videos are long, but I think they're important when you study the Bible to kind of get all the historical facts, kind of the full picture before you dive into the little details. Uh, and so welcome to Cobblestone. We're going to be in the book of... First Samuel. So, if you want to open a Bible, go there. If you don't have a Bible, there's ones along the wall. Uh, really, the verse that we're going to be stuck in today uh, is one that makes me sad. But I think that as it makes us sad, it can actually make our hearts uh, do an opposite thing than the people of God. Uh, as you're as you're turning there, uh, I just want to have a little family moment, time out before we continue. Uh, there's just a couple things you, you got to know. And number one, if you are a member or you've kind of covenanted to this family, uh, we need you to vote on the budget. We do that here. Uh, the elders pray over it. We kind of form it, and then we put it before you, and we go, hey, do you hear the Lord in this? Should we spend our money this way? So if you are a member, we need you to go out in the atrium after this, get a, get a ballot, fill it out. Put, it'll tell you how to do it. I don't, you're not, I'm not the guy to tell you that. Uh, or maybe you want to go online. You can go to cobblestonechurch.com slash 2021 budget. Uh, and it'll tell you all those details. Today, we're asking so we can actually have a budget in the new year, something about fiscal or year. Not the guy, cool, but if you could do that. Uh, Other than that, uh, I don't even think we have a slide. We are doing Christmas Eve, which is this week. Merry Christmas. We're gonna play with fire, even with corona. It's gonna be great, all right? All I mean is we'll have our candlelight service. We'll worship Jesus the night before we remember his birth. Uh, Come at 7 P-M. Um, and that's, that's all the technical stuff. So today, um, I, la- I titled this sermon, uh, We Have a King. Like, we have one, me and you. So we have a ruler, and we have a Lord, and we have a king, uh, except he's not like any other king. And as Christians, when we understand who he is, we live different. When we make him smaller than he is, we live weakened versions, paled versions of what he died to secure us into. And so I'm, I'm like full of hope today, uh, and this isn't in my notes. I, I haven't gone off script in a while, but today's the day. Um, I went back, and I think it's important sometimes as the people back, of God to go back and look at your journals. If you don't write down what God does, I highly suggest it. Uh, even going back, and I, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but, <laughs> uh, and listen to some sermons from earlier this year, so January, February-ish, um, and I'm not going to, I, I listened to a couple of them, and I actually started just crying, and you're like, "What? I know it was that good. Um, that wasn't why. Uh, I, I started to remember what God was doing before corona. I started to remember the movement of God in this, this house of God, which is to be called a house of prayer. Like I started to remember uh, kind of the expectation level that God had started to raise in, in this place, and all of a sudden it like came back, and I was like, Lord, thank you, because I don't know about you, but corona kind of suppressed a lot of that stuff in me, where I came back and I'm like, even this morning at like 9.25, one of the elders is like, did we cancel church today? Because there was literally three people in here. And I was like, I don't know, did we? <laughs> I'll still preach to an empty room. Let's go. You know, like, and, and, and so I just want to say that I believe the Lord did a lot of what he did in this corona period to humble, to make way of, a way for the Lord to come with, because we need clean hands and pure hearts. And if corona did anything, it ruined this idea that... <laughs> that we need it to be professional, we need it to be big. If there's three of us in a room going, Jesus is amazing, we're having church. And so really, I'm excited. I feel like I'm not quite there yet, but I felt the Lord by his spirit start to be like, you can be that expectant again. And I'm starting to hear the prayers in the prayer room and hear you all, and I'm starting to feel, I call it the water table. So it's just like sometimes water tables are really shallow and sometimes spiritual expectations are real shallow. We come in, we're not really expecting a whole lot. But I just want to stir you up a little bit that next week when you come, I want you to have an expectation that God is going to wreck us all. That we're going to meet him. That we're going to hear the word of the Lord. Not even just like I'm talking, but I mean like we're going to read the living incarnate, like the word of God and by his spirit, it's going to be like, ooh, that was good. And so I just want to like, hey, shake off all that other stuff. The season was hard that we just came out of. Corona's still not quite all the way gone. That's fine. But that doesn't mean that when we gather to worship the Lord, there can't be this joy, expectation, and like, ooh, I'm excited. So this is what I like to do. Before I, I keep talking, um, which we will, First Samuel, um, I just want to pray. I, and I don't want to pray. I We, I want to pray with you. And, and this is what was, I, I listened to one of those sermons and why I started crying is I remember where the Lord had us back then. And I would start most sermons that, in that time, and I would just sit down right here, and I would invite Jesus to come into the room. And the thing is, I really expected him to do it, like with full expectation that the King of Glory was gonna come in, and you were going to encounter him. And now all that language got me in trouble back then, because people bounce off that topic differently. There's no like, anger in me anymore. The Lord crushed me. But I, I want to meet with him more than I want to meet with you. I hope you want to hear from God more than you want to hear from men. Um, and so we're just, I'm just going to ask him to do that. And then, and then I think the word of God is going to do what it does. It, it speaks. It cuts. And so, Lord, as a people, we bow before you. And I know that you are here because I, we gathered in your name, and your word says we're two or more gathered in your name, in the name of Jesus. There you are in the midst of them. So I ask, Lord, that you would come in. You are a welcomed guest. You are the, actually the first and the utmost important guest. Dwell here with us, teach us, lead us. Your word is true, and it says you promised, Lord, that you would never leave us or forsake us. You promised, Lord. So your word is true, and I lean into those promises. Come come inhabit this place. Come fill these temples, these living temples. Come speak to us by your word. Oh, it's good. You are good and beautiful. So Jesus, would you come in the room right now? Would you, would you raise the water table, Father? Would you make us expectant, hungry, faith-filled people of God? That once again, when we gather, it would be with just a, an expectation that fits who you are, not where we're sitting. I thank you. We thank you as a body. Thank you for my family here. Thank you for every heart and soul in this room that you knew they'd be sitting in that seat. And I ask that you would speak to them, that you would heal them, that you would break every chain holding them in the name of Jesus. That God, we would be so gripped by your truths that we would live different lives. And that as we talk about your word today, we would not reject you as our king. You are the king of glory open up the eyes of our hearts that we might see you and then live rightly in light of who you are. Oh, it's good to be with you. Jesus' name, amen. So as a church, if if you stop long enough, you can actually feel the Lord. Oh, and he's good and he's patient, and he's kind with us, and he's been faithful to every word he's ever spoken over this place. And so as we look at the word of God today, uh, as you read 1 Samuel, there's so many things we could have talked about. I could yell about all of them. I could, I could yell about Hannah, um, I mean, a, a woman who begs the Lord for a child, like murmurs in the temple. You could talk about Eli and his stupid sons. You could talk about, you could talk about all these, things. there's so many themes, and so I highly suggest if you're not doing it, We're in a reading plan. We're reading the whole Bible. We're not stopping until we're done. And then we'll probably just do it over again because that's what we are. We're we're people of the word of God, and it's true. And so as you read 1 Samuel, the temptation is to go, well, this is just ancient history. But what the Bible is is actually the word of God spoken by the spirit of God to men of God who wrote it down. So when you read it, it's not, it is an old test. It's like an Old Testament testifying to something that happened, but it's in a new sense. It's the Lord re-speaking it into the hearts of his people And you can see his character. You can see what God's like. You can see what he did. You can see that when Hannah humbled herself, even though she was bitter and angry that she didn't have a kid, but the other wife did, she cries out to the Lord and the Lord blesses her. And then you can look at Samuel and you can look at the ark of God. And like there's just so many themes, but there's one verse that just resounded in me. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 8. So I wish we had the time. If they let me talk for two hours, we would have the time, but then all our kids would probably, all our parents would just be like, please don't. Um, so we're just going to focus on 1 Samuel 8, 4 and 5. Uh, and, and what's happened is you go out of Judges, and then there's these Judges that God would raise up to, to redeem and save his people and kind of bring back them back to the things of God, and then that Judge would die. We talked about this and they would sin and they would forget and then they would cry out and then God would send a judge and then he would, it was just for years. Samuel is the last judge. He's the last judge of Israel and he's a man that ministers unto the Lord. So while Eli and his sons are dishonoring the Lord, Samuel is a boy who's growing in favor of the Lord. Samuel is one that when the Lord whispers, Samuel's like, yeah, Lord, your servant's Like Samuel is a man that wants God's heart. And so when Samuel gets old, he has sons, and he, th- those sons are not walking in the way that Samuel walked. And so all the elders, go to, go to verse 4, then all of the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like All the nations. So it seems like a pretty basic thing. You have a people that were enslaved, brought out of that slavery by Moses, wandered through the wilderness because of their stubbornness, kind of defiling things that they shouldn't have, like even dishonoring the way that they shouldn't. They led through that wilderness. A generation dies off. A generation raises up. Joshua leads them into the promised land. They win all these battles. The land's divided up. Then they start to forget. Then God raises up judges. And then you go through all this history. And finally, they're like, give us a king. Give us a king, and the reasons matter. Now, here's the thing. It's not wrong to be like, I want a leader. I want a king. The problem is, is when you are the set-aside, covenanted people of God, you have one. And so when you say, give us a king like all the nations, we want to be like them. Do you see how that could be a little bit like a little poke towards the Lord? Like you weren't enough? And the thing is, the nation of Israel was never supposed to be like any other of the other nations. Over and over again, they were told, be different, come out, don't even intermarry with them. Don't go and be like them, come and be set apart. Sounds kind of like what Christians are supposed to do, right? "Don't, Don't be like them, be in the world, but don't be of the world, be set apart, be consecrated, be the Lord's, we have a king. And then I believe, like, The next lines just really, like go to verse six, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel, and so he prayed to the Lord. Now, I just want to stop because the next few sentences are really important, but it displeased Samuel. Why did it displease Samuel? So you have a man who's not like Eli. You have a man who's not like Eli or his two sons. And so when he hears something that doesn't line up with God's character or God's heart, he's like, that's stupid. I don't like that. And so this is a man who understands the Lord because if you just start reading his life, he was one that literally, like he was just ministering to the Lord, which I think we have a lot to learn about here. But he he was fond of the Lord's voice. And when you spend enough time in the presence of God, in the temple of God, with the places of God, you start to get his heart. So he hears something come out of the people's mouths. Give us a king. And he's like, I don't like that. Ew. And so then he's like, I'm, I'm going to talk to the Lord about this, which is every, what every godly man and every godly woman should do. I hear something that displeases the Lord. I'm going to talk to him about it, not other people. And so he prayed. And this is where I, I hear God's heart. You're about to hear in Scripture, written thousands of years ago, God's art. You're going to see what he's like. You're going to hear almost like a fatherly tone on it. At least I do. And it makes me never want to be like this. At least that's what I, what I, when I read it. Verse 7. And the Lord told him, which is a whole other sermon. The Lord speaks to him. Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you they rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day. Forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Do you hear the heart of God? Do you hear him? He's like, oh, Samuel, this isn't about you. They didn't reject you, they rejected me as their king. Now, who wouldn't want God as their king, right? Who wouldn't just be pleased to be like, the king of glory is my king. Therefore, I'm more provided for than all the kings of the earth. I have all the good things that he has because I'm, I'm his subject. I'm under him. He leads me. He goes to battle for me. He's before me. I, wow, right? But they don't do that. And really, this verse, and I'm not even getting political. We started praying this verse right around like the politics up cycle in our prayer sets, because it's so easy to reject this King for some reason for humanity. I don't know why. He tells them, they didn't just reject me now. They've done this a lot. They did this in Egypt. They did this in the wilderness. They did this in all the battles of Joshua. They did, they've done this all the time. I come to them as a husband. I come to them in a covenant. I come to them with all of my heart, God says, and I give myself to them and I provide for them and I feed them manna and then they go, we'll take a golden cow. And this has got like, it, now we're gonna step into a New Testament understanding of this because we're the people of God in a covenant with the Lord through Jesus Christ. So we have a king. You have a king, Correct. And this is going to sound like I'm I'm jabbing, but I'm really not. Why do we, and I don't mean them, I mean why do we do this to God? Do you ever have weeks where you get to the end and you you never treated Jesus like he was a king anywhere in it? You might have treated him like a life preserver. You might have treated him like in case of fire or break glass, like a last resort type, like plan B kind of type. But you never treated him like a king. Why do we do this to God? What is it in the human heart that makes us reject him so quickly? And this is where I want to lean in. Could, could God say that to me? Why did you reject me this week? Could God say that to you this week? With no shame. Like, I have weeks where I'm like, yeah, I could, totally could have honored you way better, Lord. Pretty much every week, right? Could, could he say that to us? Could he say that to us? And all I feel like the Lord was like, this is what I want you to do. I want you to allow me to open up the eyes of the hearts of the people to see the king that we have. If you see Jesus for who he is, you will will follow him. If you see Jesus for how revelation paints a picture of him, you will worship him. In fact, if we actually, by the spirit of God, by the word of God, get a picture of who Jesus is, you'll probably be like, can you shut up? I just wanna worship him. Because this is what the word of God produces in men and women of God. And so I just want a couple, couple statements and hopefully I go shorter than longer. But we have a king and he is not like any others. He, he actually says to the Israelites in there, he says, but, but warn them what the king is going to claim is his rights. So kings of the earth go, I own you. Give me your sons and your daughters as my servants and my subjects. And he even tells them, they're gonna have to, you're going to have to ride in his armies. You're going to have to be behind him in chariots. He's going to claim rights, but not our king. Our king comes in low. Our king washes feet. Our king dies for his subjects. Our king is not like the kings of the earth with this subjugation and this anvil over them and like, you better do what I ask or I'm going to guillotine you. This is not our king. The kings of the earth are that way, but Jesus, woo, King Jesus, he's amazing. So just i I'll sprinkle a little Christmas on you. In Isaiah chapter nine, the one that we only bring out during Christmas season but I don't know why there's a promise a prophecy of this King this Jesus it says for unto us a child is born to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So as we approach Christmas, we tend to view Jesus as this little baby. You do realize that that was all out war against the kingdoms of darkness, right? You do realize that was the king coming for his own you do realize that that was the king of glory who the increase of his government will never stop ending, that he is to be called not just king and lord, but wonderful counselor, mighty God. So we have in Christmas, we have in the resurrection, we have right now in this room by the spirit of God, the king of glory. And when we treat him small, like a little baby Jesus, or even just a faraway idea that we're going to hold on to with a little weak faith, we ruin who he really is. Even Jesus in the New Testament talked about his kingdom and him being a king. So towards the end of his life in the, in the gospel of John, John chapter 18, Jesus is having a conversation with a man named Pilate. And Pilate's trying to figure out Should I crucify this guy? Like the Jews are asking, who is he? They say you're the king of the Jews. Who are you? What is your kingdom? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. They continue this conversation. He says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus being Jesus, and I just, that's why I love him so much. He's like, they say that I am. I just think that's an amazing response. It's not like, heck yeah, I am. Fire. You know, it's just like, they say that I am. And I've proven that I am. And he says, my kingdom's not this. My kingdom's other. My kingdom's greater. My kingdom's more powerful. My kingdom is other. My kingdom's the kingdom of heaven. Do you want to join my kingdom, not do you want me to join yours? And, and then he continues. even in Revelation, the, the, the entire testimony of Scripture is that this Jesus, the one that we say that we belong to, is the king like none other. And I, it, in Revelation 19:16, it says, On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. And I'll read it here in a second. At the end of Revelation, you have Jesus coming back for his own. So the king comes, humble form in the beginning as a baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger, lives a life that none of us could have lived perfectly before God, honoring the law, loving people the way that God designed people to love each other. He did all the things that his father told him to do. Humble, though, that, that scene that I already mentioned, When Jesus comes to his disciples before the Passover and he washes their feet, he says, you call me Lord and God, and rightfully so, I am. But did you see what I did to you? I washed your feet. You go do the same thing. Because in my kingdom, it's not about how strong or powerful or good you are. It's about how low you can get. So when we look at this Jesus, I just want to fall in love with him. I want us to be people. I, I, I talk about Jesus, I start crying almost because I'm like, he's so good and he's so much better than I give him. You ever have days like that? But I'm tired of letting that sit in me. I'm not even yelling at you, I'm yelling at me. I could just turn and preach to Andrew in the reflection of this drum cage. Like, I feel that though. If he's everything the Bible says, then he's worth everything. When we sang that, so- that last song, like, Jesus, you're worthy of all the glory. You know that's true, right? That's not hyperbole. As Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, for Pete's sake, not even a war stallion, just a dumb donkey. You know what the other name for those is? That's what our king rides into to go, kingdom's here. The Pharisees go, stop them. Stop them from worshiping you. Stop them from yelling about how awesome you are. and You know what he says? If they didn't, the rocks would cry out. The very ground would yell about how amazing He is. Like all of creation, you know what it points to? As like, oh, Jesus. That's that's the Jesus we know. That's the Jesus we serve. That's the Jesus that we preach about. That's the Jesus that we say we belong to. That's the Jesus that says we are seated in heavenly places with him. That's the Jesus that I saved me 20 years ago. That's the Jesus that we proclaim. Why are we treating him like he's this big? Do you feel that though? How quickly we belittle the things of God, how quickly we go, we want a king like all the other nations. We have one and he's better than all the nations. And in fact, if you wanna go even farther, the book of Revelation says, worthy is the lamb who was slain, worthy is Jesus who was slain, because he redeemed men and women from every tribe, tongue, and nation. So every tribe, every nation, every people group, every color, every language, you know who they owe glory to? Our king. Which is why it's no small thing when we gather in his name. Which means the songs that we sang this morning, they weren't being sung for you. They were being sung for a king who saved me and is the king of glory. He's ruling over it. And that's the second, we have a king. He is the king of glory. Of glory means when he he rules, glory is what he rules, he wears it. And I just, Psalm 24, 7 through 10. Uh, You can write these down because I got to go quick. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates lift up you ancient doors that the king of glory may come in who is he this king of glory the lord almighty he's the king of glory so david's singing this song as the ark of god is coming back up into the city and he's yelling at these gates like get up let him come in because he's the king of glory You match that with the whole testament of scripture, Isaiah chapter six, which is like this famous vision from Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple with, I don't know why I cut that off where I did, but I did. Filled the temple with glory. I love that picture because it's like, I don't, we don't wear capes these days. Like, I, I would love it if men still wore capes because we could just be like, my capes longer. You know what I mean? Like, flip them. I don't know, whatever. But the king of glory that Isaiah sees, he sees the Lord. He sees God on high on a throne. And the temple, the very place that God dwells with amongst his people is filled with glory because he's wearing it like a cape. He's wearing it. It's what is owed him. It's who he is. He rules over it. So we have a king. You and I, we have a king. We have a king. You have a king tomorrow. You had a king yesterday. You have a king till the day that you die. You have a king for the rest of eternity. And he is not weak. And so I just... I want, to, I want to kind of lean into this idea, have we rejected him as king? Because I know certainly as Christians, we're like, oh, no, not sweet baby Jesus. I love him. But we are very fond as Christians of making declarations that we don't live. We love to say, I love to say that I belong to Jesus, but look through your life. Look through your life. I, I belong to Jesus. I'm with him. I'm one with him. He and I, we talk all the time. I'm caught up in prayer all the time i love him he's great now look how you spend your money look how you treat your wife look how you treat the poor look how you actually don't talk to him as much as you could look at the ways that we belittle it look at the ways that you reject your king because the things he calls us to are not all easy things this jesus though like He's low, like he came in low. But you know what he always did when the crowds came? Like when the big crowds came around Jesus, you know what he did? He said really hard stuff. So the crowds come and they're all around Jesus and they want the bread of life and they want the miracles and they want the healing. I mean, who doesn't, right? I want those things. And then he says to them, I I am the bread of life. And if you want eternal life, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And you know what the Bible says? The crowds left and also many of the disciples. So when we come to Jesus, I think we come to to many forms of Jesus. We love the little baby Jesus. He's easy to keep as a baby though. He's manageable, but now he's the king of glory. He always has been. And when we come to him, we're like, yes, save me from my sin, but don't ruin my life. No, 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 no. That's, that's not what we're invited into. He is the king of glory, and he's worth all things. In John 20, again, 27, you have Doubting Thomas. who that's just a bad name to be stuck with. But Doubting Thomas, after Jesus is resurrected, he's kind of doubting. It's in his name. And Jesus shows up through a door. And he's like, peace be with you. And they're like, not a lot of peace. And then he says, Thomas, he looks Thomas in the eyes, which is why I love Jesus too. Because he looks doubters in the face and he looks at people that have rejected him and he goes, do you want to come now? And he goes, look, look at the holes, look at the scars. Do you want to see this one where they stabbed me? Do you want to see, like they, you want to see, and then, Thomas yells out a statement. He goes, my Lord and my God. My Lord, which is Adonai, which is king, which is Lord, which is ruler, and my God. And then Jesus gives them some teaching about, like, blessed are you if you don't see those things and still believe. In John 19, 19, you you have the, the reason that Jesus was crucified, the reason that he was put on a cross is because he claimed to be one with God the Father and claimed to be God himself and claimed to be the king. Did you know that? The very inscription of criminals was put over their head. Like when you were put on a crucifix, they would put above your head what you were charged with. And over over Jesus' cross, do you know what it read? Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth the king of the Jews. And they asked him to take it down because they were like, just put, he said, he claimed to be king. No, And, they, and then Pilate's like, I said what I said. We have a king who is present, who is powerful, who is being sung about by myriads of angels and elders. And we, we so belittle him and he is worth more. He's worth more. You know why the martyrs go? It's worth, we, oh, wow, wow. We were counted to like suffer in His name, because it's true. Why are all the martyrs going? It's worth it. It's worth it. Why in Hebrews are they go? You're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. Therefore, throw away everything that hinders and run to Jesus, because they're going. They're in heaven right now. Going, do it. Give him everything. He's worthy. That's what they're doing. And I, I don't even know why I'm crying. This is the spirit of the Lord. Whoa! We can't be a church that goes, word Jesus people and not treat him like the king. We can't. And either he's worth everything or he's worth nothing. Either we give him everything or let's stop pretending. I don't want to come here without meeting him. Like meeting him. Knowing him. I don't want to talk about him like he's not here. I don't, like, there's a song. You should look it up. I don't want to talk about him like he's not in the room. I don't want to, I don't, I just want to look right at him. I want to sing right to him. This is what I feel like they're caught up in in the New Testament. They actually knew who their king was. And unlike their Old Testament brethren, they didn't reject him. All the disciples go to death. You know that, right? Except one. Thank you, Bible scholars. Except one. They all are go, worthy is the king even for our lives. So if it's momentary suffering, praise be the king of glory. What are are we doing? How are you joining this king in what he's doing? Not the other way around. See, this is normally what we do as Christians. Jesus, King of glory, will you join my life? And he's like, no, 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 flip that. Will you join him? Will you bring his kingdom? Will you lay your life down? Will you follow Jesus wherever he tells you to go? And here's the thing. Normally we're like, well, that doesn't sound like freedom. That's the most free place in the world. You are more free with Jesus as the king of your heart than you as the king of your heart. I'm I'm telling you, this is biblical truth. It It sounds foolish, does it not? It sounds like opposite. That's God's kingdom. It sounds lose your life and you'll find it. Like lose your life in the Son of God, who is the King of Glory. And He's worthy. He's worthy. And so I just want to I want to sit us before this and just to really just push us. If that is not your declaration, if Jesus is not your King. Today, Jesus Christ can save you from your sin, make you a son or daughter of God and give you the righteousness of Jesus that you can make him your king. And following him, you will find eternal life. If you want to do that, I want to lead you in that. Some of you, you came to Jesus because you didn't want your sin, but you didn't make him king. You didn't make him Lord. You don't follow him through the week. You come on Sunday because you need a recharge so you can feel less guilty. That's not the fullness of life that Jesus wants for you. He is a king worth every second of my day and the very breath in my lungs he gave me. And I'm learning. I'm not there yet either, so don't freak out if you're not there. I'm not there to give him every breath. To be, like when the Bible says, like, pray without ceasing, to actually do that. Because it's my joy to talk to him. Because he made a way that I could. But when I don't, what I'm doing is I'm not stepping into the full thing that the King of Glory died to purchase for me. So I'm belittling. I don't want to belittle him anymore. I think the second principle, if you haven't made a declaration, Jesus is my King, he's my Lord, save me. Come and get prayer after this. They will lead you to Jesus. If you're in here and that is your declaration I just ask you to look through your life, search your life. What has his rule, his dominion, his kingship changed in your life recently? It's a really simple question. If I declare with my mouth that Jesus is king, it means he's the ruler, which means what he says goes and what I say doesn't matter. So if I can look at my life and not see any moments where I was going this way and then King Jesus went that he was like, go that way, and I went that way, then he's not really the king. I'm saying he is, words are easy, words are cheap, humans are liars. Does the king of glory have the throne of your heart? Does your life match that declaration? And where it doesn't, this is what I find, where it doesn't, I'm like, I know it should. And I get all this angst and I'm like, oh, and I feel like it's so much lighter than that. I think it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pure moment of like, I want to Lord help me, make me humble and able to love you. I've started to pray that every morning. Make me humble, make me able to love you today and not reject you today, King Jesus. I've spent 20 years following Jesus and I've rejected him a lot. Do you know what I mean? Like, cause there's that moment where the Holy Spirit, cause he's a good God gave us the Holy Spirit. And he's like, go that way. And you're like, it's okay. There's grace. But today's the day by the spirit of the Lord, he's calling you to a greater level of trust and faith that the earth has never seen. A people who are convinced that the king of glory is worth everything. So I'm gonna pray. And the team's gonna come up to worship. And when I say amen, that's all we're gonna do. We're gonna worship. We're gonna ascribe glory and honor and power. We're gonna join the songs of heaven. We are not going to let rocks cry out today. We're gonna to worship Jesus because he is the Lord of glory, the King of glory, the one who all things point to. And if anywhere in any of these songs, anywhere in any of this, you're like, I wanna give my life, you can just come do work with Jesus. You can do it right there in your seat. You don't even have to come up here so I'm more holy up here. You can come pray with our prayer counselors. We're responding to a living Savior. So if you could, could you go back to that place we started in prayer, just like kind of quietly before the Lord? And I want to invite him to call you out. Now, Jesus, I love you. Ooh, Crying a lot today, Lord, because you're Beautiful. And in my own heart, I just repent for all the places I've made you small. Would you be big right now? Would you be bigger than our internal voices? Would you be bigger, and you already are, would you silence the demons of hell? So Jesus, when you walk in the room, everything changes. Would you walk in right now and call sinners to repentance? Would you save them and show them that you are a good king? Would you show your people uh, with fresh eyes by your Holy Spirit, would you open the eyes of our heart that we might see you, the king of glory, and give you the worship and glory that you are due? You are worth everything. So right now, if, you're, if you just want Jesus, if you, you don't even have to listen. You just talk to him. Like right now, like I'm saying, it's, it's not a me thing. It's an us thing where you start crying out, like, King of glory, I love you, and just start talking to Jesus if you know him. And if you're on the prayer teams, can you kind of come up too? We're just going to worship Jesus. We're just going to adore Jesus. We're just going to invite Jesus to speak. Jesus, be everything that you are in this room right now. There's no other place I'd rather be than sitting before you. And you can do whatever you want. You can do anything. So would you come and bring new life? Would you whisper right now to the hearts of your people? And if you're a believer, will you just start talking, telling Jesus that you love Him and bless Him and like kind of be like the woman that poured oil out on His feet? And maybe you're in here and you're like, I'm not moved at all. And all you got to do is, Lord, be like, open the eyes of my heart to see you. If you see Him, you will worship Him. So, Lord, open the eyes of our hearts that we might see you, that we might behold you, that we might not take something that is the greatest news in the earth, that you have made us sons and daughters and make it little. You are the great king, the high priest, the firstborn over all creation. It was by you and for you. All things were made. We exalt your name together. As a people of cobblestone, we enthrone the name of Jesus above all other names and we worship as a glad people and gladly put you as our king. King Jesus, rule over us. Lead us. Teach us. We love you. Forgive us where we haven't. We don't reject you, Lord. We say yes. The spirit and the bride say, come, Lord. So if you're there and you're just talking to the Lord, just keep talking to Jesus. And as we start to worship, I invite you to respond to this Jesus who's very alive and very in the room. And if you need prayer or help with anything, please, please let us pray for you. Please let these prayer counselors pray for you. Um, We don't actually say goodbyes anymore. We just worship until no one's left in the room. So you can leave when you want. Everything past this point, though, is to the Lord for him because he's worthy.
0: We love you, Lord, because of who you are. We thank you for what you've done, but we love you because of who you are.
5: I desire, only this I see, just to dwell, dwell, dwell here forever, this will be my posture, laying at your feet, oh, just to dwell.